0: Welcome to the Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences, Inc. I am Dr. Steve Wood, and today we have an interesting topic. This is being recorded in May, and as many of you may know, May is Mental Health Month. We talked a little bit about mental health on the podcast, but I'm a strong proponent, as well as the others who are joining me today, about talking about mental health, getting it out there, and really changing the, the idea that mental health is something that's taboo and shouldn't be talked about. So, with me to talk to me about that is Attorney Whitney Burkett. Whitney, how are you? Thank
1: you. doing well. How are you, Steve? Thank you. I'm
0: excellent. Thanks for joining the podcast. Also with us is Dr. Alisa Parker. She's back again. Haven't been here for a while, but good to see you again, Alisa. How are you?
2: Thanks, Steve. I'm doing well. Excited to talk about this today.
0: Great. And before I start, I just want to give a brief introduction to each one of you. You know, Dr. Parker, she is a she has a doctorate in clinical psychology, and most of her work tends to be working with witnesses, working through and training them on how to be effective witnesses. And a lot of that has to deal with addressing their mental health and addressing how they feel. Um, Whitney, could you spend a little bit of time talking about kind of what your philosophy, your approach to mental health and how it is that, you know, you train witnesses?
1: For someone who has done a lot of catastrophic injury and medical malpractice litigation, which is where my practice focuses. These people are having the absolute worst time of their lives professionally, and you are seeing them in bite-sized doses. So I think that it's incredibly important to address their mental health from a non-psychological perspective so that they feel like they're on a team, so that they feel like they have someone that is experiencing it with them. It makes them a better witness. It makes them more honest with you, which is what we all as litigators tell our clients, If you be honest with me, we can handle anything. And then no one can fully do that because they're human. But if you, so to me, the the addressing their mental health concerns helps you gain their trust and gain their respect. And that makes them a better witness.
0: Excellent. And Elisa, I want to start with you and just kind of have you talk a little bit about what the experience is like for witnesses from more of a personal, professional, and even litigation perspective as they go into litigation.
2: So um, I'm just gonna back up slightly and talk about mental health in general for a moment. Um, I think when you think mental health, you automatically think bad. And the truth is that mental health can fall on the spectrum. You can have very good mental health. You can have kind of moderate mental health or you can have poor mental health. Um, The issue, and I think why this is so important, especially within the context of litigation, would be that even mild symptoms of poor mental health can have a really large impact Um, on your witness and um, on their functioning in general. So I think oftentimes when we approach a witness and we want to discuss mental health, um, we think about it from the perspective of litigation, the litigation itself. So um, how are they feeling about the case? What are their thoughts about the case? Um, How are they feeling about the fact that they're about to get deposed or testify at trial? And really it's so much more than that. Um, There are so many aspects outside of the litigation itself, um, including in the witness's personal life that can have a huge impact on their ability to testify and on their ability to receive information. And what I mean by that is that if mental health is not uh, assessed for and addressed prior to you even beginning preparation um, sessions, it will be difficult for your witness to truly um, buy into and remember everything that you've discussed, what the game plan is, and so on. Um, And then when they're actually testifying, if their emotion has not been properly addressed and assessed, then um, the risk of having an amygdala hijack, which is kind of that survival instinct taking over, that fight or flight instinct when you're testifying, increases dramatically.
0: Excellent. Um, Whitney, what do you think, what has been your experiences as far as working with witnesses and how they address it from their personal professional life?
1: Yeah, I think um, I'm thinking of one clear example that this doctor was, was, he's an incredible neurosurgeon, but his experience um, in this one case was so bad and he felt so guilty. And the guilt that that never got addressed during his deposition progress and his preparation was something that as an excess attorney at the time coming in later, having to untangle that when he's already given a deposition And now trying to teach him how to undo that was incredibly difficult and it made me feel i mean it was so stunning to me how quickly such a decorated surgeon felt like nothing felt like the dumbest person in his profession and because what we as lawyers i think forget is that we fight all day (laughs) this is our job these witnesses don't that's not where they live and One of the things that I think to Elisa's point about addressing their overall mental health, putting them in that, allowing them the space, I think, to be able to fight and and teaching them how gives them a tool and a skill set instead of giving them a script. I think so many attorneys are guilty of trying to give someone a script and the script doesn't work. Because it doesn't actually address these mental health concerns, this fear and the, the guilt and the things like that, that some of these witnesses feel because they're human and somebody got hurt and they understand that, you
0: know? Yeah, I think that's a good point. And Alisa and brought up a, another good point as well when we talk about, about mental health being taboo and people not wanting to talk about it. But the fact of the matter is we all know whether we struggle with mental health ourselves or we know people personally who struggle with mental health. I think a lot of people know people that have it, whether they talk about it. And I think the more and more that people actually, you know, accept the fact that this is an issue and this is something that needs to be addressed is when you're going to get some progress rather than having it hide in the shadows and having it be viewed as something that shouldn't be talked about or you're weak if you go and get testimony or if you go and get help (laughs) from a doctor uh, or testimony help from. Yeah,
1: right. (laughs) (laughs) No, I absolutely agree, Steve. I think it's one of the key things. I think it's something that people don't tell witnesses enough that it's okay to be having these reactions. We'd rather you have them here in an office with me or with Dr. Parker or with you, you know, that's where we'd rather you have them because we can actually explore them and untangle them and help as opposed to in the middle of your deposition when you're under fire.
0: Alisa, well, how have you found that witnesses take to that when, when you spend a little bit of time with them ahead of time to really dive in deep and get an understanding to their psychological issues that they're dealing with or the stress or the mental health problems that they're dealing with? How have you seen them react to you? Have you found it to be beneficial and that you gain essentially credibility with them?
2: Um, I think the number one way that I would describe it is I see a lot of relief. Um for so many of these witnesses, they've been feeling kind of isolated and on an island. I mean, oftentimes, you know, they're told by their attorneys, don't talk about this case with um, anyone outside and so on and so forth, which means they're, they're truly feeling like they're experiencing this all by themselves. And the other thing is, I feel a lot of witnesses um, have trouble even identifying exactly how they feel. Um, I can't tell you how often, I start off asking questions, and, and witnesses will make comments like, Oh, I'm fine. This is not a big deal. This is not impacting me in the slightest bit. And as you talk more and ask kind of the right questions, that's not true at all. This is causing sleeplessness. This is causing um, problems at home, in to some capacity, or just general anxiety about what it means for them, what it means for their future and so on. Um, So I would say that relief is the number one thing. And I would also say that it goes a very, very long way um, with regards to that relationship building, which I think we all know is so incredibly important when working with your witness.
0: Excellent. And, And Whitney, what have you found as far as mental health as it relates to, we've talked a little bit about, you know, just the general idea of setting them up for giving their deposition, but what have you seen as far as if those uh, mental health issues aren't addressed or if they are addressed as far as how it relates to their actual deposition testimony?
1: Yeah, I think that one of the big things that we see in witnesses who just are, and the short phrase that I don't love, but the in your head idea, witnesses that sort of live in that in their head, Um, what happens is that they give these, number one, on a very physical identifiable sort of level. They give these very long-winded answers because they are themselves searching for an explanation and oftentimes not for the questioner. They're looking to explain it to themselves because of these feelings of guilt and needing relief that Elisa just talked about. I think the other thing that you get is either really hostile witnesses on one end of the spectrum or really, really docile witnesses to the point that they can be pushed around so bad that they don't they can't judge what's happening to them. You know the the mentality. I think witnesses are very, very um, easily swayed by the mentality of if I just answer everything the way the person wants to hear it, it'll be over So one of the things as a litigator, I tell people from a mental health context is nothing about this is fun, and I'm not here to tell you it is. Nothing about this you can't. Nothing about this is going to be easy or simple, but. If you embrace that, if you just lean into it and understand that this, that this is going to be a marathon, not a sprint, then all of a sudden that witness really can come alive. And I think you see them then do really well and not use seven words when four will do. And all those kind of hallmarks of good testimony come from within them naturally a lot more because you have shored up and addressed those emotionality and those mental health issues on the front end. Never. I think it's imperative.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's a good point. I think Elisa, you brought up something as well when you talked about amygdala hijack. And I just wanted to touch a little bit more on that about, you know, just explain a little bit more for the viewers who may or may not be familiar with that concept. Essentially, how uh, this, as Whitney just said, a catharsis is not the deposition. That's not the time for that to happen. And just, you know, <laughs> fill your guts on the table. It's not the time to happen in the deposition. But if you can talk a little bit more about amygdala hijack what it is, what it means, and then essentially how, if you're not attending to your mental health, how, how could this become problematic in a deposition?
2: Yeah, and, and for sure, going along with what Whitney said, if, if emotion is not addressed by your witness prior to the deposition, it's coming out in your deposition. <laughs> um, so amygdala hijack is, in essence, when your witness is calm, when your witness is rational, listening carefully, thinking before they speak, they're using their prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for logic, judgment, decision-making. I joke, if if anyone watching this has teenagers, it's the part of the brain that hasn't developed yet, which is why they make (laughs) such bad decisions. Is
0: that why my kids Um, do what they do? (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um, But when your witness starts to become very emotional, they literally start using a different area of their brain. Um, the amygdala is housed in that area. And generally the amygdala should be sending a message to that prefrontal cortex saying, hey, there's a threat here, I've perceived a threat of some type, how should I react? When there's an amygdala hijack, that circuitry gets cut off. Um, So your amygdala starts responding and you have kind of a lower level um, cognitive response where you are, um, again, having that survival instinct. And for a witness, that would be the fight or flight response, which is, in essence, um, what Whitney was talking about, where you have a very hostile witness or a very docile witness. Um, They've either given up or they're trying to fight back. And obviously, neither is going to work when it comes to testimony.
0: Right. I think the other thing to piggyback off of that is you leave yourself open, right, for opposing counsel, to essentially cause you to have an amygdala hijack if you haven't addressed it, just by their own behaviors about making you defensive or pushing back or doing things in such a way to make you go, uh-oh, this sounds bad, I need to fix it, right? And, it, and essentially use mm-hmm. your own emotions against you. I think that's why it becomes important, like you would said at the very beginning, is to address all of these to make sure, not only do you not do that during the deposition, but you also defend against that and make yourself really impervious to opposing counsel's tactics of trying to get you to engage into that.
1: Yeah, and I think Steve, I was going to say, Steve, that's one of the great points. One of the things that um, after having worked with you guys, especially Elisa over many years, one of the things that I've learned from you is one of the things I tell witnesses is let me react. Let me be the emotion in the room. Let me take it on because again, now you've built up an opportunity for this witness to go, oh, someone else can do this part. This is a thing I don't have to do now. But then they get the satisfaction of watching someone get up upset when they are being attacked. You know what I mean? It sort of serves a twofold purpose. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of witnesses can really respond to because it's something you're not taking a burden off them in terms of that mental health piece to really hurt them.
0: Very good point. And I think you know one of the things too that complicates this matters is that now, obviously we're hopefully on the, the downslide of COVID, but I mean, COVID is a very real thing, obviously, from both a personal and societal perspective, but it's also a very real thing as far as mental health and how it's affected, impacted mental health. What have you noticed, Whitney, from witnesses from when they were pre to now post COVID as far as their reactions, their mental health, their emotionality?
1: Yeah. So I think it's really interesting. I think a lot of people when you were as witnesses, when you were bringing them to your office and they were getting calls from an attorney, right, that's going to sort of already pushed them into sort of a defensive place. Now what happens is they're at home. So they're having a defensive reaction, but they're not in the room with you and you can't read them as well. You can't, you can't sort of fence them in and, and help them the same way that you can you could in the pre-COVID era. Um, so I think that in and of itself though I think what I'm noticing from the mental health of witnesses in general, there's more room for them to be defensive. There's more room for them to be, to not address those mental health things because they're sitting, you know, they're doing their deposition at their kitchen table. Right. There's no one in the room with them, and they don't feel it. So I think it's that's really the biggest thing I've noticed is that witnesses are a little more overall defensive. You can't knock them out of that as, as well.
0: That's a good point. I think Wes, one of the biggest things, and at least I think Elisa would agree, is that. You know, when we do witness trainings, it makes it a lot more difficult to do it over Zoom, right? Because we can't a gauge the behaviors and get that personal connection with the witnesses that we normally could. And I think you bring up a very, very excellent point about the idea that when these depositions are being done in the individual's home, it's really for lack of a better, they're just less on edge. And that makes may make them yeah. feel more comfortable mm-hmm. when they're giving their deposition. The problem is once they feel more comfortable, <laughs> they tend to feel like they would make the mistakes that they wouldn't make had they be sitting in the room, you know, at the deposition like yeah. they normally would. Is that what you found, Elisa?
2: Yeah, and you know, one suggestion that I would make, and of course this varies from state to state, depending on what guidelines and restrictions are in that particular state, But if possible, even if the deposition is being taken virtually, I generally recommend that the witness still tries to meet in their attorney's office for the deposition for exactly what you're talking about. Um, Mental health in general, as a result of COVID has been a massive issue. Um, There's been a significant amount of research done on this already, but there has been a huge spike in symptoms of depression and anxiety. And for some people, these are just symptoms. For other people, I mean, they've reached a diagnosable state. Um, On top of this, access to mental health has also changed during this time. There was a lot of clinicians that for a long time were not accepting new patients. Um, Many clinicians have only been doing um, teletherapy sessions versus in-person sessions and so on. So people who were experiencing worsening symptoms or symptoms for the first time, didn't even have a way to get help to some degree uh, when they needed it most. And I think where this becomes especially important and it goes along with that defensiveness that Whitney was just discussing would be that if you are already experiencing symptoms of anxiety or depression, when you experience a stressor of any type, you're gonna have a much larger emotional reaction to it than you would if you were not experiencing those pre-existing symptoms in the first place. Um, so what we're seeing are much bigger reactions in witnesses mm-hmm. when they feel threatened, or they feel defensive, or they feel uncomfortable. Um, that's always been an issue, but I think that it's heightened now as a result of COVID.
0: Good. Yeah, I couldn't so, agree more, Lisa. So, Whitney, then, you know, what are your thoughts then as far as how we should go in the future, as far as addressing mental health, as far as helping witnesses? you know, with these issues and help them to be more prepared for their depositions?
1: Yeah, I think one of the big things to me, and I think it's whether you're in the room or not, because the COVID deposition is not going, you know, depositions on Zoom aren't going anywhere. There are plenty of us who have clients who are saying, wait a minute, you can spend less less of our money there. You know, there are other things, not just related to COVID that are going to keep these around. So I think one of the things, I was an athlete growing up. So one of the things that kind of comes to mind for me is a practice like you play. Every time I meet with a witness, if I know that deposition is going on Zoom, I meet with that witness on Zoom from the minute I get the complaint. From that first phone call, I say, Nope, we're going to set up a Zoom, we're going to be on camera. Because then they're used to being on camera. The first time they call in, a lot of times, you know, they're on a phone, they're in a busy office, and I'll go okay, so all of this is fine when it's just you and me talking, but none of it is fine for a And you start talking to them about it right then. Because I think that when you're in a room with the witness and you can build a relationship a lot quicker. So you have to start contacting them earlier and you have to start doing it in the method that they're going to be deposed or otherwise testify because you practice like you play, you know? And I think the other kind of big thing that I see is... It's a lot harder as an attorney to assure a witness that you're there to help that you're on the same team when you're just a box on a screen you know so to elisa's point earlier i say look we're going to meet like this most of the time if you are not comfortable if you want to be in a room with me if you want then we're going to do it that way and reassure them that this isn't the only way so what, the, tell them the reason behind your preparation i think i think that's one of the mistakes that we see a lot of attorneys make is that for us this is a routine thing so we just go through motions well it's not for them and if we don't treat the, if we treat them like it's routine it will shut a witness down faster than almost anything you do
0: yeah i think that's a good point and you talk about essentially it's building rapport with the witnesses because mm-hmm. you know you don't a lot of times when they meet you for the first time right they don't really know how to feel about you they don't know whether you have their back whether you know, really you're exactly. just, a, they're just another number to you, right? Just another witness that actually has to be defended. So I think it's a good point to bring up that more human fact to understand. And this goes back to, to Elisa's initial point about walking through and really basically spending the time to show that you care for them and about their mental health. And it's not just a, we're just here to make you better so that you don't step in it and cause problems for the company. We don't really care about you as a human exactly. being. We care more about.
1: Exactly. You. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Alisa, what else do you kind of, your thoughts, you know, you have a different perspective, especially with your background and your training, as far as how to address witnesses, what are your thoughts about how we should go forward in helping these witnesses?
2: So I absolutely think that relationship building is still possible, even when this is done virtually. Um, I agree with Whitney, what that means is that means more touches are needed. Um, you need to be reaching out a little bit more often, even if it's for very brief check-ins. Um, and at other times, um, being spending a little bit more time and discussing things that are not necessarily just related to the case. Um, I mean, that's relationship building just in general is um, asking questions, getting to know the person some, talking in general. Um, if, if you're focused only on the case or this is being done at the last minute, right before a deposition, uh, or right before trial testimony, it, it really is not as effective. Um, the other thing is getting comfortable talking about this. Um, this goes along with what we've said a couple of times now already. Um, and I know, uh, Whitney, you and I have chatted. The word mental health doesn't need to be used when you're discussing this with, right. with your witness. I mean, there's a lot of kind of emotional well-being and just general check-ins. And, and the other part is knowing the right questions to ask um and if you're an attorney and you're doing some assessment and you're thinking wow this is bad or this is concerning uh no one to bring some outside help in as well
0: mm-hmm. excellent point <clears throat> yeah um so like i said this this is obviously a, an important issue to all of us on the thing so i appreciate you guys coming on and talking to us about it and like i said hopefully in, going forward in the future you know those who are listening and those who are on this podcast can actually, you know, do some good as far as alleviating some of these concerns and helping witnesses get back to a place where they're healthy, comfortable, and feeling good about themselves as opposed to anxious and scared and, you know, uptight and about all the different issues, not only just with their litigation and their deposition, but just life issues in general. Whitney, if Mm -hmm. people want to get a hold of you, how do they get a hold of you? What's your contact information for them?
1: So, I work at Anderson Razor & Partners here in Chicago. Um, Our phone number is 312-673-7800. And our website, it's long, but it's arandpartners.com. So you can find all sorts of information about us there. Um, Steve, Elisa, thank you so much for allowing me to come on and talk to you guys about this. It's been great.
0: Yeah, it was was a great conversation. How about you, Elisa? If anybody needs to get a hold of you, has questions about Witness training about the psychology of witnesses. How do they get a hold of you?
2: Um, they can go to our website, Courtroom at Courtroom Sciences, and um, also my email is a parker at courtroomsciences.com. It's a great way to get a hold of me at any time as well.
0: Great. I think you brought up a good point as well, courtroomsciences.com. We have a lot of blogs, podcasts, other podcasts on there, a lot of good material for attorneys, for clients to go and check that out. If you need anything from me, I can be contacted at swood at courtroomsciences.com. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. This has been another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences Inc. Goodbye.